0: CD, D2, Delano Roll, coming at you recording direct from the Classic Cast, where we just roll with it. D2, it's so great for you to join us this morning. Only 15 minutes late. (laughs) (laughs) Only 15 minutes late. (laughs) (laughs) I call them at 4.55, and there's babies in the background screaming. Yeah. I know that feeling. Um,
1: Yep. Some days, man.
0: The night before this past night. Uh, I was planning on going to jujitsu, but I had to wake up at ten thirty, and wake up a few times then to put one of my kids down. Then I had to wake up from at one thirty, and was up till four thirty when I'm supposed to be leaving for jujitsu. Instead of leaving for jujitsu, I'm holding a baby. I'm like, this, this is just not gonna work out. What happening. No. Which, that's something like if you're. If you're sleep-deprived, you don't want to go to, I feel, because of the risk for injury mm-hmm. and just the mental requirement for it. But, yeah. I mean, you could
1: nah, – no, yeah, don't go. I mean, I, I don't think you would actually get hurt, but you just regret it the rest of the day.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just
1: regret <laughs> Why did I still go?
0: Mentally and physically be down. <laughs> yeah. With that.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: we got, we got Delano Rollback.
2: D Roll. What what do you want to tell the world? Man, Catch us up. it's good to be back. You know, I'm
0: excited. It's been over a year. you has been, been Has it been that long? Yeah, I think so. Man, it's crazy. Somebody. We got,
1: um, we've got like thousands of listeners now.
0: <sighs> I've quit my job. This is my my salary. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you guys have gone viral. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: on the dark web. That's why you haven't heard about us. <laughs> <That's> what,
2: <laughs> requests for ads and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've
1: we've we we rejected them all. We do mm. this
0: for we don't. Yeah, <laughs> so we don't. We do this for free. So speaking of which, I used to think you had a unique name, Delano. Turns out, FDR. Yeah, which which by the way, Roosevelt, Franklin, Franklin, Delano. Franklin Delano. Yeah, it's a Delano.
2: Delano. No, it is not. It's yeah. Delano. No, nah, it's Delano. Same A-L-L-L-L-O. name. Yes. Same. Which I, I always tell no. people that. People don't like, they don't catch the connection. But yeah, same exact name. What? Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. I I did not what? realize that until yeah, like a month. Same ago. name, man. I was thinking, okay, that's that's a unique name to the um
2: Caribbean. That was that'd be considered. But huge. even where I'm from is is not unique. Really. Lots of people have that name. Oh. It wasn't well, until that's, like that's what I meant. Like yeah. you would find a lot of people. Oh yeah, yeah, where yeah. You live, yeah. but yeah, not here. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, that's you. I've never heard
0: of that in but one of our presidents. One of the greatest presidents. FDR has yeah, a name.
2: Yeah. yeah. In fact, one of the um, I think one of the guys that uh, so I don't know.
1: Don't, so why don't you go by Delano instead of? I don't like how it sounds. <laughs>
2: but honestly, my mom. So the way she pronounces it, I mean, you always go by how your mom pronounces it. Yeah, she yeah, says yeah. Delano, yeah, so yeah. So I yeah, say Delano, yeah. but I guess technically it's supposed to be Delano, but it just sounds weird.
0: Yeah, I like Delano. Delano sounds way better. <laughs> I think so. Um, I used to mispronounce so, your last name all the time. The so, Role. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It is not it's Role.
1: Fa- it's fancy over here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, I mean, um,
2: sophisticated. Yeah. I'm,
0: What's your middle name?
2: Camuol. So I got two yeah. middle names. Camuol and then Rashad. Man. Rashad isn't, you know. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not a unique cool. name at all. There's probably.
0: I, I,
1: I mean, my mind's still blown.
2: <laughs> you didn't know that? FDR.
0: No, I'm going to
1: start calling you Mr. President. <laughs> Mr. President.
0: I like that. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> Mr. President. Uh, for those who do not know Delano, he's got a, uh, a presidential persona about him. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, Dude, uh, come uh, on, very, man. Very,
1: very Barack Obama esque, <laughs> I
0: would say. I yeah. wish. <laughs> the dark skinned Obama. <laughs> <laughs> Barack Obama is she.
1: Anyways, kind of get a little bit of FDR in you, too. I think
2: these yeah. are not good examples, especially, the, I mean, D. especially
0: <laughs> the D. Especially yeah, the D. But every time I think of FDR, though, I think of um, JFK. I don't know why JFK's face comes to my mind when it's the
1: initials. He just it's because he goes by initials.
0: So I'm I'm uh, I'm willingly sounding. Very ignorant of presidential history here, but FDR is Roosevelt, that's not Theodore, right? Okay. No. That's what I yeah. No. <laughs> what? who knows? Who knows <laughs> at this point? <laughs>
2: I think Theodore was a little bit earlier. Danny's like, I don't know what to trust with presidential history. Like. I'm gonna put myself out on the limb here. I think Theodore Roosevelt was in the nineteen twenties, I believe. And FDR, of course, the 40s. Okay. Yeah. He's the forties and the thirties, I think, because he was the longest um uh ruling president. I think he was Because of the war. Because of the war, yeah.
1: Um uh FDR's the guy, World War II, famous yeah, World war, war, II, war II and he was in a wheelchair by the um I don't know if he I think he was in a wheelchair the whole time, but definitely by the end of his presidency he's in a wheelchair. In fact, there's a sweet plane. Uh his Air Force uh his Air Force One was at a museum in uh the Air Force Museum in Denton, uh, Ohio. And it shows the uh uh special elevator they had for his for him and his wheelchair that went up through the bottom of the plane.
0: It was sweet it was sweet. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Without further ado, we are here today.
1: But yeah, that is pretty ignorant.
0: Well, with <laughs> further ado. Uh, I mean, yeah. Both is kind of ignorant. It's like, what's more ignorant? Not knowing his name or
2: the D and FDR? <laughs>
1: Uh, Theodore Roosevelt was president from 1901 to
2: 1909. Oh dang, I was way off. <laughs> Not as off as Cole. We should
1: knew was a separate person, if you oh, weren't man. 50 years
0: yeah. <laughs> before. Yeah, Theodore <laughs> like played in night at 30 years Out of the museum.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> hey, yeah. Theodore Roosevelt
1: was a boss, though.
2: Yeah, he was. I mean,
1: uh, his quotes and his, uh, th- yeah, his quotes and just his like yep. general thoughts on manliness and and Manly stuff like guy.
2: that. he's like a rancher and all this stuff. Oh goodness, yeah, yeah. real
1: mustache. Had a good style, had, yeah. Had
2: a style, good style,
1: good yeah. mustache, yeah.
2: In shape, yeah. He was worked good, at, yeah. He worked when when he was out younger, in of shape. course. Yeah. Started looking kind of crazy when he got older, but when he was younger, man, he was in shape.
0: Former President um, Trump is in shape too. <laughs> what? Did y'all see his um, when he checked in to the let's just say hotel. Uh, <laughs> the hotel. <laughs> um, he had to list his height and weight. Yeah. He listed six three two fifteen.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he was get he
0: was getting oh, blasted. Right. It was actually a mastermind move of him to distract the community about mm-hmm. something so tertiary, but they put a side-by-side of President Trump with, like, Larry Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. the Hall of Fame wide receiver yeah. in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. President Trump, 215 pounds, Larry Fitzgerald, 218. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, if you're 6'3", 215, you are jacked. Oh, that's yeah. that's prime shape for all sports. Um. And I'm not disagreeing with him. He very well could be, for all we know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, I'm going to try again, Danny. Without further ado, um, we are in the building to talk. John chapter 17. Delana, if you ever need more of that, I can always pause while you guys talk and go make some more. So, um, John chapter 17, as I always ask and as you always answer, Danny. Uh, Delana, you contribute to this as well. Uh, why John 17? What is the significance?
1: Wait, why is John 17 so significant, or why are we doing it on are the we podcast? Doing, why
0: are we doing John 17?
1: Uh, probably because it's, it's probably my favorite passage out of the Gospels for one, mm. and uh, two, um, you made a good connection. I sent you a few. I sent you a few options, as you know. And you said, "Let's do John seventeen because we it it connects well to Proverbs eight, which is the last, uh, last uh, episode we did in the biblical series before we did the episode on psychedelics." Um. So that's why. Um. Good connect, a lot of connections. I think we even referenced it maybe a couple times yes. when we were doing pro- Proverbs eight, and then, um, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just a. Uh, it was easy for me to send that as a, as an option because. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's a, uh, the whole Bible is a classic. If we're you know if we go going back to the theme of the podcast, but man, I just don't know how you beat John chapter seventeen
0: yeah um I'll make this point you know, I'll pass the ball as far and to clarify to you what we mean by classic is um which we never take this as not the Word of God. it right. is the holy separate is separate in the fact that it's separate from all other documents it's holy
1: the, it's the classic not a classic right not a,
0: the classic what we mean by classic as far as even the world. Has to admit that these documents, the way that they've been preserved for thousands of years and accepted by um, the Christian community and held as the Word of God. When you pick up the book of John, there is no more, by definition, classic document than that, or the book of Leviticus or the Torah or any of that stuff. Um, there's no more well known book on the planet. It's not. Um, Even for the other uh, books of other religions, they recognize the Bible, the Christian New Testament, the uh, Christian Old Testament, as um, with with this preservation, just classic, preserved, guarded, well known documents. Um, With John seventeen, so to Delana, to catch you up on that, I, I know you're familiar with Proverbs chapter eight, but one thing we pointed out. In the Proverbs eight episode is um, what theologians call the prosopological exegesis, where there's only getting deep. The conversation we didn't talk much about that, but just bringing up the term, talking about um, this this personification of wisdom right. begins communicating with um, or about God. So it's almost like Solomon's pen is taken from his hand, and um, the Holy Spirit takes over completely and reveals to us a conversation within the Godhead. Um, And then here we have in John 17, God speaking to God, Mm. God talking about things that God has done in eternity past. And so for me, why John 17, what a heavenly conversation, what a heavenly record that was written down. In this context, I would say the disciples witnessing this prayer because this comes right after John 16, and you do see times where our Lord separated himself from the disciples to go pray, mm-hmm. i.e. Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. doesn't seem like that that happened here in John 17, um, which Matthew 26 with Garden of Gethsemane, I but it seems like they're having the the... The discourse on the Holy Spirit, John 14 through 16, and then right after that, um, in the presence of the disciples, the Lord begins to pray. Mm-hmm. Which, thinking of that, that whole idea, and this always um, stumps non-believers, but God praying to God. You know, there was never a time that the Lord was not God. It's not like he gave up his divinity, um, gave up his godness. And so we can say it was, you know, God talking to God about things God did in eternity. Um, And so there, there's, in short, kind of the connection there between Proverbs 8 and John 17. And that is also personally why I would defend Proverbs 8 as being about Christ, where it says, I forgot exactly how it says, but um, I was all daily beside him. Rejoicing in him, his master workman um so it's like Christ talking about who and how he was with the father right um question that I have let's just jump right into some deep theology here let's go out swinging <laughs> um Delano, talk to us a little bit about the covenant of redemption,
2: oh man you're which you're a big covenant theology guy. I'm a big covenant theology guy. Uh,
0: because of, you, you've mentioned before, maybe even on you this podcast. babies?
2: I don't baptize babies. Oh, okay. but yeah. Um, I'm not that
0: kind
1: I thought, I thought that's what you did if you were a covenant <laughs> theology guy.
0: Which, we're not going to take the time of getting into your testimony because we've done it on this podcast already. Anybody who's listening to this, go back, scroll all the way back to the first episode with Delano. He explains everything. But with your kind of your background right. um that gave you a, a big desire for covenant theology pretty uh, quickly. For sure yeah yeah so um when we're talking covenant of redemption that's covenant theology type stuff delana is there any connection um with john 17 even vague connections ballpark connections john 17 the covenant of redemption and Del- uh danny you also chime in here
2: too of course but yeah absolutely you you read all through John seventeen, and I'm trying to find the particular verse right now there there are actually a few verses where Jesus talks about um his people being given to him by the Father. and so when we talk about the covenant of redemption, we would define that as a pretemporal so before creation, a pretemporal covenant within the Godhead. And you know, there's all sorts of ways you can go about explaining that because what does that even mean—a pretemporal covenant within the Godhead? You know, you don't have separate gods agreeing with each other to do a, a particular purpose. This is one God, right? But in any case, um, it is a covenant where the Father gives to the Son a particular people, and the Son takes it upon himself to redeem those people, and so the saints are given to Christ as a gift in a pre-covenant, a pre-temporal covenant relationship. And so Christ is saying, yeah, he's praying for those people. He's interceding for those people that have been given to him in this covenant. And so it's also interesting, too, I was going to mention this before you asked that question, but it's also interesting that that as a prayer, um, you see in John 17, Christ, his uh, priorities for his people. You see what he's praying for, for his people. And that should kind of form our prayers like if this is what christ is asking for for his people the people that have been given to him as a gift from the father then we should be praying this too
0: oh you spitting now
2: and it's real you know we always talk about the the intercession of christ you know how he's interceding on behalf of his people and um man it's, it's just you see what he doesn't ask for and you see what he does ask for and it's very enlightening to see the priorities of our lord or his church. Yep. Um, and I won't go into it too much because that's the content of what we have to talk about. But in any case, yes, you see um, Christ accomplishing the work that he was given to do by the Father on behalf of the people that he was given. And that's that's the covenant of redemption, to redeem those people. And so um, our entire salvation, covenant of grace, the, the, the New Testament itself is founded in this covenant. And that's that's beautiful. It's comforting. Yeah. yeah. Um.
0: And uh, would it be? I think it's mainly in like Baptist circles. It's kind of a Baptist thing to do to deny the covenant of redemption. Is that correct? Or you see that at Presbyterian? Yeah.
2: um Some some Baptists some Baptists would argue for that. I mean, you had I think like Benjamin Keach, a really popular particular Baptist. I think he denied it. Um. You know, so some of them, some of them. What I'm guessing, some Presbyterians would as well. You know, um, but you know, the covenant of redemption is is one of those things in Scripture all, where it's, all well. I think virtually all
1: Arminians do as well.
0: Mm.
2: Deny it. it, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, that would make sense.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would definitely make yeah. sense. <laughs> um, which, by the way, yeah. which is
1: which are most badness. So. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: well. Yeah. Sorry, I should have. Uh, Preface meaning like among the yeah. reformed community, you know, because yeah, you and I was, I talked most of the
1: reformed tradition affirms the covenant, of
0: redemption. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But there, I know that there are a few people, yeah. at least Calvinists, that would deny covenant yeah. redemption because yeah, yeah, they would claim that it just doesn't have enough scriptural data to support it. But man, when you just described the covenant of redemption, I'm like John 17, John 17, there man, talking about a, a people that the father has given the son. All those that you gave me, I have kept, yeah. other than the son of destruction, and that was only to fulfill the scripture. Yeah, mm. and so we could say then that the father never gave the son of destruction, that is Judas Iscariot, to the son to keep. Mm. He was always prophesied to. That's exactly um, right. Yeah, fall yeah. away. Mm-hmm. So he's left. He in that case, hundred percent. He in uh, a defense, not to get ahead here. Um, but the covenant of redemption, as expressed in John 17, being the defense of our eternal security. Mm. If you have ever been secure, you will always be secure. Mm-hmm. Or the son, it's so hard to even say hypothetically. Or the son didn't know what he was talking about in this prayer. Yep. All of those you've given me, I have kept. Did you give us a rundown of John 17? Maybe give us a summary or your some some of your leading thoughts of this.
1: Uh, Yeah, this is called the uh, um, High Priestly Prayer. Uh, That's what many of your, uh, many Bibles will uh, have, like the section headings. Many of them will have uh, something like that, Prayer of Intercession or High Priestly Prayer uh, above the section. And Christ is really doing, and I think that's a proper heading, In fact, I think this would be more properly called the Lord's Prayer rather than than what's commonly known as the the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I I typically call that one the model prayer and this one the Lord's Prayer, but that's confusing to people because it's not properly known as the Lord's Prayer. Um, But this is really the Lord's Prayer. It's the High Priestly. I I think it's also rightly called High Priestly Prayer because this is are really in, in perfect form Christ demonstrating that that role that that he's going think about what the high priest would do in the holy of holies he would go and intercede on behalf of all the nation of Israel well now you have Christ our great high priest going before uh, uh, God the Father so God the Son going before God the Father and interceding for all of His people. Now, uh, um, the the main uh, the, the reason why I love this prayer so much, or re- the reason why it's, uh, pra- I mean, uh, it's probably my favorite uh, gospel text, is it it really in one chapter encapsulates uh, what God is all about. Uh, what the gospel is all about, uh, what the whole scriptures are all about. Uh, okay, if the, it's kind of like the the main plot line of the scriptures gets fully revealed here. And I think verses 20 through 23 summarize this high priestly prayer in, jo- in John chapter 17. Christ says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for th- those also who believe in me through their word. And so, so far, Christ is praying on behalf of his immediate disciples uh, But uh, as you're reading it. But he gets to, uh, we get to verse 20. He's like, "What?" but I'm not just praying on behalf of these disciples, you know, before me right now or with me right now. But for all of those, for all who will believe in me through their word. And so you get uh what christ is what Christ is going to do what y'all have already talked about uh that Christ is accomplishing salvation for those whom the father has given him before the foundation of the world um, um uh, uh twelve disciples that he's pouring into one is one is going to be lost but he's not just preying on them but uh um Uh, praying for them but for those who he knows uh, will be preached to uh, and even for those who will come in contact with Christ through the scriptures that they will write after he's already uh, uh, dead resurrected and ascended in heaven Um, and so this is where all who have faith all who have believed now get included into this prayer well that I I interpret I do not ask on behalf of these alone. It's okay. This whole prayer is is uh, is applicable to me. But these verses make that explicitly clear. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Um, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, mm. that they that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that they that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. I mean, those are probably the most uh, uh, amazing verses in the Bible. Uh, because what is Christ saying there? Christ is saying, uh, uh, Christ is saying that uh, this is the way. What he's praying for is this is the way um, that uh, <coughs> a lost world, the those that you have given me for me to save. This is how I take them from being enemies or distant from you, to united with you as as you and I are united. Um, what is he not saying? It's not saying that we become God, or that we become a person of the Godhead, or anything like that. But what he is saying is that we're brought into the fellowship, and the love, and the glory that God the Father and God the Son share with one another. And that that blows me away every time I read it. That we're brought in to share in God's very own glory. We're got brought in to share with God's very own love, uh, the glory that's in between God the Father and God the Son.
0: Partakers of the divine nature, Second yes. Peter chapter one. Yeah.
1: So God, God, the Father is is lifting up God the Son and Jesus Christ, and uh, in in Jesus Christ, God the Son is is uh, glorifying God the Father. In return, there's this reciprocal glory. Uh, selfless glory. There's this reciprocal love, selfless love, and then we're brought into that through, uh, through Jesus Christ. That we're brought. It, we we now partake as as you put it. Now we partake in the glory, partake in the love that the God has within. That God has within Himself. Uh, that uh, I mean, uh, this is un. Uh, this is, uh, ignorant language, but that's just bonkers to me. That's just absolutely bonkers to me every time I read it. Yeah, that is very Um,
0: ignorant language. Yeah.
1: yeah. (laughs) The, uh, but, uh, but that's it. I mean, this is the, uh, that's what Christ is all about. That's what the Bible is all about. Uh, that, that level of reconciliation. Okay. What's, what's Christ's actual goal? Um, uh, this is what it is
0: <sighs> so i, I flip through this chapter again while you're talking and there's so many words that are repeated in here what do you guys feel like are some
2: important words in this chapter single words one one it's one that's repeated quite a bit glory
1: Uh, I, you know, Christ speaking on, basically this is all about what Christ does. Um, I mean, in every, probably in every verse, there's I. He's thinking, speaking of himself in the, um, you know, first person. This is what I pray for. This is what I've come to do. This is what I'm doing. This is what I will do. Um,
2: Also, Father. Father's repeated yeah. several times in this chapter.
1: Yeah, this is what got me off the hook of of uh repeating Heavenly Father or Father in my prayers. I'm like, well hey, Jesus did it, so <laughs> get off my back.
0: He didn't say dear though. Dear Heavenly Father. Yeah, I don't say dear. Dear Heavenly. Yeah, I don't say dear. <laughs> that is dear. Every Southern man starts his prayer. Dear Heavenly Father <laughs> <laughs> well, Father God. Father God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, and they say it a hundred times in their prayer. Yeah, um, I just go. I just go,
1: with Father, right? Some <laughs> Heavenly Father, multiple times. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. Look at the word "give" over yeah. and over and over. Yeah. That's Even as good. you gave that's to him authority, in order that everyone whom you have given to him, uh, he should give to them eternal life. Um, let's see. It keeps going on. Uh, verse four. Whom you have given to me. um, And now, let's see. um, um, Verse 6. Whom you gave to me. uh, Verse 6 again. And they are them, even as you gave your word. um, Mm -hmm. Verse 7. You have given. uh, Verse 8, several times. You gave whom i have given to them or what i have given to them mm-hmm. uh keeps going on down let's see verse 9 you have given to me over and over and over let's see it does it again in um reading through this live uh tw- verse 11 yeah. does it again in verse 11 um verse 12 so, over and over and over, you have some form, some cognate. Of, uh,
1: uh, verse 22, uh, or, sorry, um, yeah, verse
0: 22. So, and verse I. Verse
1: 24.
0: Yeah, verse 22. And I have the glory which you have given to me, I have given to them. So, and, and not only that, it's both in the past tense and in the perfect tense. Yeah. One of the first things you learn in just a, a general Greek class, first six months, is the importance of tenses of verbs.
1: I was still learning the alphabet for
0: six months. Danny <laughs> and uh, Danny in, <laughs> in undergrad—he's having to finish Greek again. He should be graduated by now, but he failed Greek <laughs> twice. So, <laughs> so wait a minute—that's that's a B. No, it's Beta. <laughs> but uh. The, the, the importance of tenses of verbs, one of the most important ones being the perfect tense. Now, understand there's yeah. there's always debate about everything when it comes to linguistics. One of the debates is, is the perfect verb really that important? I would still say yes. Something that happened in the past that still has immediate relevance and impact on someone in the present and always will in the future. Whom you have given in the glory which you have given. To me, I have given to them in order that they should be one, even as we are one. So how is how is the glory that the father gave to the son and the son end up giving to us? How does that affect us right now? As you guys mentioned, unity. Yeah, that's how. So why is it important that we share as co-heirs in the glory of the son? So that we would be united to one another, and then also to God, uh, not in the way that the son is united to the father, of course, but um, in 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 social ways, in in communal ways, in a community that we are one in the spirit with one another, which is why we should strive to maintain that unity. Yeah, we should not strive to separate over um, various things constantly. It should be, you know, our first reflex should not be um, distinguishing ourselves so much that only about five people are in our camp. Yeah, uh, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, our Our first effort should be no. I'm going to be united with that. That's why, I like, you know, people hear us all the time. A year ago, we always talked about coming out of the theological closet, being Calvinist. Yeah,
1: our, we, our viewership has gone down since then. <laughs>
0: but the viewership, <laughs> made, our listenership. It may go back up when they realize, like, we make these jokes, but we seek to be united even with Armenians. Yeah. And and so yeah. let's be clear about that. Uh, I always make jokes about, you know, my Presbyterian brothers only because I have a lot of Presbyterian friends. Yeah. And they understand. If they know us, we seek to be united with them. People, uh, the Presbyterians always say, Oh, y'all had to copy our confession. 1699 is just a <laughs> copy of all. The Westminster There's,
1: there's a difference between a copy and an upgrade, I mean. He's <laughs> <laughs> dropping bombs
0: now. I did not say that, but I do retweet that. Um, the reason is is because the Baptist wanted to seek unity with the Presbyterians. We're not this different religion. You know, we we agree with a lot of things that you're saying mm-hmm. and would seek fellowship with you. Now, ecclesiology, there would be differences. The one would always end in end up in the Presbyterian church and the other always end up in the Baptist church. But that doesn't mean that we are walling ourselves off because we look at the word of God and we see that it was so important to Christ himself that he prayed this. And this is not the only prayer he had, but this is one of the few prayers where it is recorded word for word in what he said. And so because it's important to the Father and the Son, it should be extremely important to us. Unity from glory.
1: Yeah, I'm struck. I'm struck again reading this, and as you're explaining that, look, you've got who the Scriptures call the God Man. You got Jesus Christ, and the Scriptures also say that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Um in him uh so uh as the you know ancient creed would say uh tr- truly truly man and truly god uh it actually says verily in the english tra- original english translation but verily means truly G- getting all king james on you guys um but it's amazing to think that just reading through Uh, last night in preparation for this, reading through this again. And I'm just struck that um, uh, this also highlights the very nature and disposition of Christ and that what is he concerned about in this prayer? He's not concerned about his own glory. He's concerned about the Father's glory. He's concerned about the church's glory, his people's glory. He's not concerned about highlighting himself. I mean, you can look at this and say, "Okay, like I looked, I noted earlier, it's filled with eyes. It's filled with him just talking about himself, but it's not self-centered at all." If you were I write and write something, and it's always I, 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 I. it's about us. And in, in one sense, this is about Christ; it's about what He's doing, but it's not concerned about. He's not concerned about himself at all is not trying to put himself up or pat himself on the back or really he's about um you know for their sake talking about the church and that um that talking about the glory of the father and that's really this really encapsulates his whole life in uh, you know his whole existence, you know his whole person uh is that he's about the father and he's about Uh, his people he's about the church he's not about himself he's completely uh, um, selfless there's not a self-centered bone in his body even though he be truly man that that goes back to him being without sin and um, that's just an amazing thing that that God the Son is like this that he he truly is uh, not about himself and he could have come to the world and been, uh, I mean, his followers wanted to um, worship him rightly so, but they also wanted to make him, uh, put him up and, and have him uh, praise his king. Praised as, um, you know, have this giant following, have the masses follow after him in his ministry, and he would leave them in secret and say, look, my time has not yet come, my time's not yet come. And because he's not about that. He wants the Father to be glorified. He wants the church to be. <laughs> he wants the church to be glorified. Um. Uh, through him. Uh, and we can understand that to be about the Father, but th- this also strikes me as as a uh, like an Ephesians five type passage. In that, okay, what is, what what is the model for for marriage and the model for husbands? What is Christ modeling for us there? Um. Uh, it says that uh, that, we should, uh, that husbands should love their wives like Christ loved the church, uh, laying himself down for her, washing her with a word that she might be pure and undefiled on the last day. It's, Christ is all about making more of God the Father and making more of his church, those whom the Father has given him, he's not about making anything of himself, not making more, not making much of himself. Mm -hmm. And he's the one person ever, uh, who had the right to do it. And he never, he never does. Mm. It's just amazing. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, um, Christ never lies or Christ never puts on a show, but this gives just explicit insight into his person. This prayer you know, you really see the heart of Christ in His prayer and say, "Yeah, He's not um, uh, the one person who rightfully could be uh, is not self centered, and not self centered to to the least extent."
2: Yeah, I am. I, um, you know, staying on this topic of unity and 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 the the persons of the Godhead glorifying each other, verse twenty one is is really interesting to me. Um, in fact, I'll start at verse twenty. Um, Christ says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the unity in the church patterned after the unity in the Godhead, and that's all for the purpose, unity in the church, to demonstrate to the world that the Father sent the Son. And so it's it's almost counterintuitive yeah, that that Christ, his priority here is that the church demonstrates unity. Not so much, you know, we have to conquer the world or politics or anything like that, but what's the, the thing that the church touching, is... Uh-oh. Hey, I, I know, I know I'm touching a, a little... It's a little soft spot as, right
1: here. As would say, if you can't say amen, you ought to say out." Yeah, yeah.
2: But it's, it's, it's interesting that, that what is the church supposed to be focused on? You know, what, what should be our priority? What should be our, our mission? And Christ says here that we should focus on unity. We should focus on being one. And that is the thing that witnesses to the world that the Father sent the Son. And so it's it's counterintuitive, you know. You almost think of this is by way of application. You almost think about, you know, um, you're in a church that has difficult people or going through trials or some sort of division, and the thing that most people want to do is just bail. But what Christ is saying here is that mm. even for the world, mm. even in, in terms of our witness for the world, that that act of unity, that act of forbearance, that act of patience that you do in your church with difficult people or difficult trials. That that is one of the most beneficial um, bold proclamations or witnesses to the world that the Father sent the Son, and that's more than say some sort of political campaign or some sort of I don't know. I don't want to get on my postman my brothers here, you know. But um, it's too late. Just that's go ahead. That's, it's that's too, too, late. That's too late. more. We all know who you're talking about. Yeah, that's that's more significant. Than most of the things we would associate with world domination for Christ, it's it is it is unity in the church and endeavoring to maintain that. And it's like I said, it's just so counterintuitive because you you get in these situations in church, and it's it's almost like, man, who cares if I, you know, treat this brother kindly? Who cares right. if I right. if I if I try to um, be unified with brothers that may have a slightly different doctrinal stance than I do. Why does it even matter? And Christ is saying here that it matters even for the glory of the actual Godhead. The world may know that the Father sent the Son. And that's, that's really interesting. That's deep. Um, I don't think we focus on that enough.
0: Yeah, know. that that is... I'm going to
1: be thinking on that for probably a couple of
0: weeks. <laughs> All that to say, that is um, the, the cost of unity. It is
2: attached to God mm. and the purpose of God. In the incarnation, right uh, of Christ, and by by way of of negative implication, division in the church, even in even in our local congregations that we think nobody is watching, division in the church is a negative witness to the world. It's a bad witness to the world, and um, we don't focus on that enough. No, that the world is watching, and right. um, and that's deep stuff well um
0: delano began the all-out assault on our post-millennial
2: brothers so that's the only reason i came here i <laughs> all are wasting time <laughs> so we've got a hey. so uh let's let's for, just
1: for the record we have uh post brother post mill brothers and sisters within our congregation so there's no we can be unified
2: no. with everyone yeah, right. except yeah. post mills. That's the <laughs> <laughs> that's the only exception. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I will not so yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to set the record that yeah. we do have
0: unity of with, with postmills. And people know we're joking too because there's been post mill guys on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, I always yeah. joke that I'm always invited to the post mill barbecue. I mean, it's just that's how we are. Um so we don't get offended about it. Sometimes our post mill brothers get madder than we do about yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, to continue down the road of eschatology, you brought up post mail. Some people are right now saying I don't have a clue what that is. We won't take the time to define all the positions. But for those who do know it, um, let's talk eschatology of John seventeen. And here's where I see eschatology. Um, which I'm in John twelve I'll I'll come back. We're not on that chapter. Which <laughs> No, I'm I'm going to bring something up from from John 12. This
1: guy doesn't know his presidents, doesn't yeah. know his numbers. <laughs> but um
0: when Jesus spoke these things and lifted up his eyes into the he- into heaven, he said, he spoke, "Father, the hour has come." What is the eschatological significance of that statement there, the hour has come? And let's say we don't necessarily have to start with the eschatology of this. What is just, in general, the the significance? What does that remind you of? That phrase there, the hour has come.
1: I mean, it's significant because Christ was all millennial. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh Here's what I'm go thinking ahead, of. Yeah, go ahead and make your... Well, no, it was a yeah. sincere question. I wasn't going to make a point. Um, but you remember uh, John chapter 2. Speaking of repetitions, uh, you don't have to be a biblical theologian to understand if if the Holy Spirit repeats words in the Scripture, it's important. If he says uh, a specific word over and over and over, whether it be in in one sentence, one chapter, or one entire book, we can look at that and say, "Okay, that's uh, there's a reason for that. That's a very important word." Uh, Jesus says to her, that is, to his mother, uh, uh, "What what is it to me, uh, lady, woman, uh, for my hour has not yet come?" So. And he speaks this several different times where uh, certain things happen where he would receive great glory from it. And he, right before he does a sign or a miracle, uh, whether it be a demon exorcism or uh, some other thing, someone requests something of him, and he says, my hour has not yet come. But here in John chapter 17, uh, he says this to the Father: My hour has come. So that word "hour," hour, 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 you have it again in John chapter twelve. Um, some of the Greeks um, coming; they were coming up in order that they should uh, worship Him in the feast. And uh, they came to Him. Da, 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 let's see, uh, Lord, we des- or we desire to see Jesus, Philip comes and says to Andrew, uh, and Jesus answers to them and says, uh, the hour has come in order that the Son of Man should be glorified. Yeah. So the phrase Son of Man there takes us back to the book of Daniel. So we start to have this um, eschatology connection in the fact that This idea of Mm hour is connected with the title Son of Man, and Son of Man is connected with end times. You have Daniel chapter 7. The Ancient of Days gives the Son of Man um, authority and nations and peoples. It gives him glory. And then you have the end of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, where the Son of Man comes back and judges the world, Mm -hmm. judges the wicked and judges the righteous. But it's all about the timing of it. Now, he's always called the son of man. Um, this does not just mean son of Adam, uh, son of a man, but this is a specific title, son of man, uh, in connection with uh, last day judgment, last day glory. And it comes at this hour. Now, one thing that I millennials say uh, about timing of things is that there are significant events but sometimes the significance of that event, w- when it comes to the timing of it, is not just tied to uh, that event. Sometimes it's a little bit before and a little bit after. It's not a clean-cut timing of it. Yeah. Uh, sometimes an hour is not just one particular hour, but it's a, an event or a, a time period. So, for example, um, the resurrection of Christ, we say, defeated Satan it has already defeated satan but has not yet completely defeated satan well the lord says in in john chapter 12 matthew chapter 12 i believe luke 10 maybe luke 12 um he says he sees satan falling from the sky being cast out and that is a, a eschatological doctrine of um satan no longer has authority to accuse the saints because mm-hmm. of the resurrection of christ right and christ saw that accomplished even before the resurrection, but it's lumped into the resurrection. I'm done rambling all that to bring that to kind of a, um, example of what's going on here where his hour has come. Father, my hour has come glorify me. And it's beginning that hour is beginning all the way as early as John chapter 12, where the son of man, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I mean by like the, it's got a significance of our. You mm-hmm. guys take it away on on kind of what's going on here, and yeah, uh, and what's maybe it? a defense of the armill position uh, in light of that. Uh,
1: not necessarily on that train of uh, on that train of thought, but another note on okay, what is he talking about being glorified though? I mean, Christ, uh, Christ is is uh, is praying for this. His hour to be glorified isn't. Okay, now it's finally time for me to be celebrated. It's finally time for me to assume the position of of uh you know uh a celebrity prophet and uh and uh um, you know a people's uh, a people's king and stuff like that <clears throat> uh, what so many people wanted to make of him throughout his ministry when he says no the hours come for me to be glorified he's not talking about those things he's talking about being raised on a cross mm. uh okay the hours come for me to be glorified but it's not how everyone has thought that's going to that's going to take place throughout his 3 years of ministry it's not he's not going to be celebrated he's not going to be lifted up he's not going to get a massive following um uh he's going to be raised on a cross uh that that's what he's talking about. That my hour has come. Uh, that this is the way that he's going to be. Uh, th- this is the way that he's going to be glorified.
0: Yeah. Let me, um, in connection with that hour, let me read a little bit more from John chapter twelve, because uh, this is kind of going with with what I'm talking about with with Satan being defeated even before the resurrection, though it's at the resurrection. What is the cause of Satan's ultimate defeat? The resurrection. Amen. But he starts to see the the victory before it. Um, Jesus answered, verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. There you have with what you were just talking about. Um, With resurrection, with eschatology, comes glory of the Son. He's going to be glorified in some way. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? you have the word again, hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Yeah. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. It's almost a repetition of the ideas in John 17, five chapters later. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Yep. So the hour has come. For the Son to be glorified. Well, what takes place in order for Him to be glorified? The the grain of wheat is cast into the earth and dies, and it grows again that it may bear much fruit. And when yeah. it does that, the ruler of the world, Satan, is cast out. Now we see in Second Corinthians chapter four, he's he's still the god of this world, blinding men, um, but in some sense he has already been defeated, as as Christ sees.
1: And for uh, again for Christ, that's glory. Yes. Laying down his life for his people. That's, you know, for him, that's, that's glory. Okay, that's, that's being glorified.
2: Huh. Yeah, I was looking for a reference. like I couldn't find it. But, you know, this, this um, um, speaking about the hour in the Gospel of John, you know, it's associated with tribulation. As much as with glory yeah, and with the Son being glorified, with the, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, the, the, the casting out and the victory over Satan, but is also associated in the book of John with a, a time period of tribulation. And you even see it in reference to the believers as well. in John chapter 16, where it says, um, uh, verse 1, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God and they will do these things because they have not known the father or me. And so I think there is, is one more reference to an hour in this chapter as well.
0: As you're reading, could you kind of move it this way? Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so uh, in the gospel of John, the hour is it's, it's in reference to an eschatological tribulation, not just for Christ, but for believers as well. And that that hour, because we know that believers, this isn't this isn't done yet. You know, now it might not be happening, at least in this side of the world, in the same way that persecution was happening right here. But the hour for Christ, that hour, the hour of tribulation, the hour of testing, he was crucified when he died, when he resurrected and was victorious over Satan. That hour of tribulation is even something that we see happening right now in the church where the church is being um, it's it's suffering. It's, it's being attacked by Satan. And we don't have any redemptive, you know, <laughs> role to play, of course. I mean, our salvation is accomplished by Christ. But I think this is what you were probably trying to get at, Cole, in terms of um, amillennialism, which we're not going to go into a whole explanation of that. Um, but that hour of tribulation isn't at some immediate time in the future. It's not, it's not necessarily at, at just at some point in the past. But that hour is even right now, Mm -hmm. that that this is an hour of tribulation right now, even for the church. And Christ inaugurated that. And as we are unified to him, his hour is almost our hour. They hated him, they will hate us. They persecuted him, they will persecute us. And so the hour that everyone is looking for that they think is going to be some secret little... uh, No, don't get me wrong. Persecution will probably get worse before Christ returns. But that hour of testing is right now. It is the church age right now mm-hmm. where yeah. the church will be rejected by the world. Yeah. Satan will seek to attack the church. The church will be tested and we have to endeavor to maintain unity in this very hour yeah. <laughs> where we have everything yeah, working that's good. against us. That's good. And, um, and so I think that's probably what you were trying to get yeah. at. And, um, yeah. And so there's, there's an end time orientation to that hour.
1: Um, like what you were talking about earlier, uh, the hour was immediate for Christ. Now is the hour, but we're still in the hour. Mm-hmm. That's right. the that's the point. It's like it's
0: still the hour. And it was an hour for him for a long yeah. time too, all the way from twelve to seventeen, and then even after seventeen. Right. You know he he says to the father, "The hour has come." Chapter twelve, yeah. chapter seventeen. The hour has come. Yeah. And um, you know there's still a, a lot of things before the uh betrayal mm-hmm. but it's still an hour. Yeah. Uh it says it again in, in association with tribulation. In time like tribulation. Yeah. Matthew 26:45. Well, uh, Behold the hour has come. The hour of the son of uh, and and the son of man will be handed over into the hands of sinners. Yeah. The hour has come there. Well, um, that's
1: that's crucifixion week. And mm-hmm. so uh, I'm not disagreeing with you your your point's right. you're showing this like hey, he's not just talking about one hour here mm-hmm. uh he's saying that the the time has come mm-hmm. right uh that's it, yeah, it's like um yeah from john from John twelve to John seventeen we're talking about maybe a week's time if if that
0: right, another association with um, tribulation, but in this case, last days, eschatology, defeat. Um, What does it say about the enemies of God when they're all raised up together and they assemble and they try to fight against the Son of Man in Revelation? It says they were defeated in one hour. Yeah. So um, it's just a phrase that shouldn't be overlooked when, say, somebody is preaching this or when we're talking about this
1: this is off uh
0: t- this is off topic
1: of of the hour you know in times application or uh implications here uh but when I was struggling with uh the, the nature of uh the nature of the atonement and salvation uh struggling with the doctrines of grace um uh you know look looking through the scriptures and and you know the Lord was convincing me of those truths um, it wasn't uh you know ephesians five or sorry ephesians uh one or two Romans chapter nine ten uh that convinced me of these things though um uh th- th- though they were sufficient to and people's arguments and uh, and I didn't come to the doctrine of grace reading Calvin or, or Spurgeon or anything like that. It's when I got to John chapter seventeen. Mm. So it took you all seventeen chapters. A, yeah, yeah. It took it took me seventeen chapters of John. Yeah, yeah. Good point. I got to John chapter seventeen and was like, uh, okay, you know. This is out of the very words of Christ. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you, even as you have given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. It's like, that, that's it. Out of Christ's own mouth, um, he's got a people given to him. And so I found in Jesus Christ that, you know, there's a um there wasn't a, uh part of it was an emotional abrasion to the doctrines of grace i think like so many people but when i found john chapter 17 it was just like no a- election is true clearly we sh- we see that out of the very mouth of god um but in john chapter 17 you don't see a jesus christ you don't you don't see a more loving savior a more loving jesus christ and so this isn't a cold, hard doctrine. This is a life giving. This is a life giving doctrine. And so John chapter seventeen just wanted to make that note as we're reflecting as we're reflecting on the chapter today. That's another way the Lord profoundly used this chapter in my life is is showing me the the the, the true nature of salvation and and that it's not what I saw evidence at the time. A bunch of cage stage Calvinists, <laughs> causing problems for everybody it's like well i don't want to be that um uh, uh but i f- but i found that that's not what it's about at all it's mm-hmm. about christ glorifying and loving those whom the father has given him it's just like okay i'm in i'm uh, uh th- this is this is what i'm about and um uh, and that's really the kind of that that's why it's not Calvinism. That's why it's the gospel. That's why it's it, it's it's really not Calvinism. It, it it's just the Bible. And it's because we got perfect uh you know, perfect doctrine coming out of the mouth of Jesus Christ himself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, don't get me started on my um theological growth into the doctrines of grace by the gospel of John.
1: I didn't, I wasn't reading through the Gospel of John. I forget how I came upon John chapter 17. Um during that time of life I was reading a lot of the Bible that I've never read before. And um but once I read John chapter 17, I'm like, "Oh, I've got to go. I've got to go to chapter 1 and read this thing through." And then it just everywhere it just left off the page at me. Yeah. And so yeah, the book of John is my favorite book. People are like, "Well, You know, tell me about the doctrines of grace. I don't go to Romans 9. I don't go, I don't jump to Ephesians 1 and 2, like I was mentioned earlier. Uh, I go to the gospel of John. That's, that's, that's the best first place, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. So, other than unity, other than some of the things that we've said, uh, Delano, what would you say are some things that should
2: not be missed from this chapter? Um, kind of what we mentioned earlier, just some of the things that that um Christ does not pray for. He does not pray that here, the church would, go again. would not experience difficulty, that the church would not experience suffering. He doesn't pray that the church would would somehow be demonstrated to be some victorious, conquering force in the earth. He doesn't pray for riches. Um, I mean, in fact, he doesn't even really mention preservation from difficulty at all. He prays for unity, for church to, um, to be a witness to him and to the Father. And so it's just, you know, these should, th- th- this chapter should really form our prayers on what we should be focused on, that, that God doesn't really promise to preserve us from some of the difficulties that we experience doesn't doesn't promise to to that we will be protected even from you know some of the people that seek to do us harm i mean um and so I, I think we learn just as much from what christ doesn't pray for than than from what he does pray for and um you know that should that should kind of align what we should expect the church to be in this age i'm not going to go on a whole you know tirade it again on that stuff. But oh, you should do it. <laughs> I should do it. <laughs> but um um
1: Yeah, go down on blaze of glory. <laughs> blaze of glory. <laughs>
2: um but yeah, I I just think that, that sometimes, you know, you just have this false expectation of what the church should be and what it should do. And this doesn't have anything to do with postman, I think we're all kinda um liable to fall into this trap on what we expect things to look like. And um sometimes when a church experiences difficulties or the world hates us or something like that, we think something's wrong. Um but the fact of the matter is Christ doesn't pray for any of those things to be accomplished. He doesn't pray for yeah. the for the for the church to have this um sort of glorious bold reputation. In fact it says even in, in verse um it says in verse um where is it? Where Christ talks about the world hating the church in this chapter, Um, at verse fourteen, it says, "I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." It's almost like it almost seems kind of, kind of counterintuitive. So the world's going to hate them, but at the same time, they have to be a witness to the world.
1: Yeah, and he specifically prays, I, I ask that you do not take them out of the world.
2: Right. Right. And um not only that, but but also look at look at this as well. This is something that I think we missed, but also holiness. That that in verse yeah. um seventeen, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Also in, in verse um nineteen it says, And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So one of the things that the church needs to be focused on as well is their own holiness. So just as Christ was set apart for a special mission, now we know Christ didn't need any more holiness. He was perfect. But he was set apart for God's holy purpose, for God's mission. So the church also needs to be set apart, sanctified, consecrated for God's mission, for God's purpose in the world. So we shouldn't be thinking about power. We shouldn't be thinking about riches and wealth and being accepted by the world the influence, but holiness, unity, glorifying the father, glorifying the son. These are the things that the church needs to be focused on. And, um, yeah, it's good stuff. So if you apply John chapter 17, you,
0: you got a pretty good ecclesiology. Yeah. Yeah, you do. There's a lot. I mean, in one single chapter, That packs a lot of punch for the doctrine of the church, as as you're pointing out.
1: Well, uh, doctrine of salvation, doctrine of God, doctrine of the church. I mean.
0: To that point, John MacArthur preached what? um, I think 10 sermons, so every heading of systematic theology. At a conference, he just preached John 17. No way. Yes. I gotta find this. Just John <laughs> I gotta, seventeen. I gotta find Multiple this. sermons. So he he get up, preach about doctrine of God, John seventeen. Oh, doctrine not of salvation. In multiple John sermons, ser- multiple not just sermons. One sermon? Multiple wow. The doctrine of the church, John seventeen. Um doctrine of Christ, John seventeen. Doctrine of the Holy Spirit, John seventeen. Just yeah.
1: Pro- I gotta find this.
0: And this is good. I do have to leave here pretty soon. By the way, if you guys want to keep going on, you can. Um, so y'all don't let me stop you. So y'all 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 can keep going whenever. I don't know what your timetable is, Delano. Seven ish. Yeah, right, right. Go ahead
1: and wrap us
0: That'd
2: up. Cool. We can wrap it up. Uh,
0: closing statements on John 17. Give us three sentences. Go.
2: Oh, man, that's hard. Three sentences? (laughs) Four. Four. uh,
1: Closing thoughts? Yes. Greatest greatest prayer ever.
0: You can say that. Words. Greatest prayer ever.
2: Okay, I'm not going to say three sentences, but I'm going to keep it short. Verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world. So this prayer, right? What's the purpose of it? Christ says that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Mm. So what is our joy based Mm. in? What is it it founded in? Is it founded in the things of this prayer, holiness, unity, glorifying the Father through the Son, or is it based in something else? Not something else. I mean, you fill in the blank. It could be whatever you are basing your joy in that's of the world. And I just think that that's a question we all need to ask ourselves. So, What is our joy founded upon? That's going to determine the entire direction of our Christian life. And I'll end it there. I'm not going to go
0: on. Man, that's good. That's actually, so last night I took two notes on this. One of them was an hour. second one was joy. Uh, So the Christian should strive to be joyful, should not live a life of joylessness. Because it's contrary to the prayer of Christ to not have joy. And so, and having joy is
2: fulfilling the joy that Christ had and gave to us. And As he was did. about to suffer. Yes. Yeah. He's talking about joy. Yeah. My goodness, that is, yeah. <laughs> man, he's about to die, that yeah. they may have my joy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
0: And so, you're, our joy, we should not seek joy from anything else other than Christ and what he has given us. And to do that, to find joy in things that are systematically, doctrinally opposed to Christ and his prayer, is to be against Christ. Yeah. It's to say that his, to say, out of all people, to say that his prayer was not good enough for us. Mm. Man, talk about practical application. And this is good. We've talked for an hour and 15 minutes. We could easily talk about for three hours. if we, Especially if we took this thing verse by verse. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, that yeah. would be impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's good. It sounds fun, though. It does. <laughs> CD, D2. Delano Roll, coming at you recording direct from the Classic Cast, where we just roll with it. Just roll with it. Hey. <laughs> you fit right just in. Just roll with it. <laughs> <laughs>